today, if your neighbor is asleep, leave them. Please just let them sleep. And we're going to have a little time of talking. All right. So you guys excited about it? We could fire up the air conditioner. You ready for that? Going to ask the roof to part. We could have like a convertible auditorium. All right, let's go. Pull out your programs. I see how you guys just get it over with and let's go. You got two hours to speak. Just start now. So here we go. Here's what we've been saying over the last several weeks in the series Overloaded Lives. came from a book called Margin. It's written uh, by Dr. Swinson. He is a medical doctor as well as a believer. And he kind of approaches some of our physical issues, mental issues, spiritual issues, relational issues from a life that is not balanced. And so he writes the book. From that, I began to kind of get some ideas out of it and started working through uh, some of the areas that I felt like our culture and our, our certainly our, our congregation is wrestling with. And so at the very beginning, we said this as we laid out some definitions. We talked about what progress is. And, and uh, Dr. Swenson quotes a historian that believes that since about the 1800s, the Western society, Western culture has always desired to achieve more, to, to raise, rise to a higher level of standard of living and so forth. And so it's kind of the be more, do more, have more mentality. He goes back to the 1800s. I actually think it's farther back. We'll tie that in today and look at it. And so he says this, that progress is proceeding to a higher stage of development. And that's what the historian says. And the margin is... Um, an area of your life where you have an extra amount allowed beyond what is needed. So we've been using this as the illustration. You have 30 minutes to travel to a place that's 20 minutes away. You have a margin of 10 minutes. We live in a culture where we have 20 minutes to travel to a place that's 30 minutes away. We live in a culture where we have $50 left over to pay for a bill that's $100. Right? We live in a marginless society. That is our culture that we live in. We have embraced it, and we now call that normal. That's the way that people live. And if you have a life where you have margin in your life, whether it be in time or your resources, your finances, people scratch their head and wonder how you do that because that is not the way that our culture is. And so here's what Dr. Swinson says. It's kind of the thesis of his book. He says this, that margin has been stolen away and progress is the thief, meaning that we live in a culture and we have bought into the new norm, which is if we have more, do more, and be more, that life is, quote, successful. And so we're constantly pushing, we're constantly striving, we're constantly moving forward, and as a result, our life isn't balanced, okay? And in week one, we talked about how to begin to create balance in our life. And we started off with Matthew uh, chapter 11, verse 28. Let's go back and read it. It's in the top of your outline there. And it says, <clears throat> Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And a yoke is... It is a piece of equipment that harnesses two animals together. It was a farm culture idea. And so they would take a yoke 
and they would place it around the two ox, the two goats, the two sheep, the two camels, the two whatever they had doing their uh, uh, pulling their equipment and so forth, and they would yoke them together, and the two would become stronger than the one, right? And the two would be able to pull, would have more horsepower, goat power, camel power, whatever kind of power the animal happened to be, and they would be able to pull a greater, a greater uh, strength. And we said this, that as we look through Scripture and we look at the concept of yoke, it is, uh, has two principles. It has a, a, a picture of submission, that you are submitting to the person whom you are yoked to, and it also is a picture of partnership, that too. And so Jesus invites us to be yoked to him and then he is the one who's going to set the pace of, uh, of where you're going, and he's going to set the speed in which you're going. And you need to submit, and you need to be in partnership with him. And if you remember back to that first week in verse 27 uh, of Matthew 11, he claims that God has given him all things, right? And so he invites us to be yoked with him as we walk through life, all right? So... With that in mind, I want to kind of look at a little bit of a Christmas story and to tie this together. And that is in Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to look at the story, uh, the account of Mary. Uh, an angel appears to Mary and he goes through uh, what God's going to do in and through her life. And then several verses later, Mary sings a song. And in that song reveals to us why she was obedient to God. And so it's kind of a neat story of how it works. So let me just kind of throw, if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start in 26. But let me throw on a couple things to you real quick. Um, oftentimes in church life, when it comes to Mary, there's some misconceptions about Mary. Mary was not perfect. She was not sinless. Nowhere in Scripture are we told to pray to her, nor are we told to worship her. That is something that was added in later. Mary is... An amazing woman that God uses, and we'll see why that is. But she is a sinner just like us. And so there's kind of a church his history and into the Mary thinking, but in reality, nowhere does it say that, okay? It, the, the scriptures do, does not teach that. Mary was special. She gave birth to the Son of God, and she was chosen by God because she was obedient to God. And we'll see that in a minute, all right? So here we go. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. You ready? All right, here we go. In the sixth month, the crowd woke up and was excited to be here. In the, in the sixth month, God sent an, the, the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, uh, verse 27, to a, uh, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man, Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin was named Mary. And the angel went to her and said... Greetings, you who are highly favored. Circle the word favored, and we're going to come back to that in a minute. <clears throat> you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled uh, at, uh, at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. All right, so let's pause. Because again, we in our minds, we see the cute little plays that churches will do with children, and they do the little... Mary and Joseph thing, and everyone goes, oh, isn't that so cute? Well, it probably in Mary's day wasn't really that cute. She was probably 12, 
maybe 13 years old, maybe 15 on the upper end. In those days, marriage was arranged. Woohoo! Right? And so the marriage was arranged. Girls would get married um, in their 12, between 12 and 15. It was kind of the standard thing. The reason why is because the life expectancy was around 30 or 40 years old. Okay? And so you, it's like, hey, you got to get going because time's short, right? So, so they would get married at a very young age. And so she was pledged to be married. So let's just assume she's 13 or 14 years old, all right? So pretty young. And God is going to do something amazing in and through her life, all right? So again, I want you to get the feeling of what it would be like for Mary and to kind of put your feet into her sandals as you kind of think through the process of how it would be. The story in which she's going to go try to tell her family is going to be absolutely unbelievable. Would you agree with that? Right? You know, in it, I mean, just imagine going to your boyfriend that you're pledged to be married to and say, guess what? I'm pregnant. And, and right? And, and you're not the dad, in which case he would say, duh, no kidding, right? But God's the father. There you go. I mean, that happens all the time, right? I mean, that's a story that just gets floated around all the time, and, and, you, and you see that. And so the angel comes to her, and it says she was greatly troubled, right? So, you know, I love to do word studies when it comes to the language. And so in the Greek, what that means is she was scared spitless, and that's S-P-I-T, just in case you didn't hear me correctly, right? So it does, So she was absolutely like what on earth is happening to me, right? I mean, this is an amazing story that God is going to do in and through my life. Now, the word favored means, it means grateful, charming, and a better translation is, it means agreeable, okay? So let's go back and look at this verse. In verse 28, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly agreeable. Okay? Now we wonder, why did God choose Mary? She was agreeable. She was willing to accept God's will for her life, even though the story that she was going to go and tell was going to be unbelievable for people to hear. And think of how difficult that cult, think about how difficult any culture would be for a 12 or 13 year old girl to be pregnant and then say God's the father, right? And so oftentimes people say, well, why did God choose Mary? Well, God chose Mary because she was agreeable. She was agreeable to his will to, to be used as a vessel to give birth to the son of God, all right? And so just hold on to that. I mean, that is, a, that is a beautiful picture of being yoked to God, right? It's going at his pace in his direction, even when it's a difficult task in which God is calling you to do, all right? And so he, he chooses her. In verse 30, she goes on. He says, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for I have found favor. Now, it's a different kind of favor. That word favor is grace means it's different it means that he found her to uh that, that he was graceful to her the first grace is she was agreeable the second favor is that she had found grace with god 
You see how that see how that works? Verse 31. <clears throat> you will be with child and you will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Verse 32. Uh, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his uh, of his father, David. Verse 33. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. Now that is code for to Mary. That is code that you are giving birth to the Messiah. That is what's been prophesied going back in the Old Testament a couple thousand years before Mary. She knew that God was going to, because the story was, God was going to provide a Messiah through the line of David. Okay? So when the angel said that, she, she knew the story. She knew the account, just as if we sit here today and someone would say, hey, God was going to send a son. They were going to call him Emmanuel, God with us, with us. I mean, we know the Christmas story. She would have known that story uh, as, as, a, as a teenager. She would have understood it. Verse uh, 34, <clears throat> she asked the question, how will it be, right? I'm not intimate with Joseph. How's that going to happen? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin, Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, uh, uh, the, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Verse 36, even Elizabeth, um, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. We'll get into that in a second. And she who was said to be barren, in her uh, sixth month, verse 37, for nothing is impossible with God. Okay, now just kind of stop there for a second. So he explains to her how it's going to happen, which the, the virgin is going to be, to, the, the Holy Spirit is going to overcome the virgin and overshadow her. She's going to give birth. Now just kind of a stop to back up a little bit. Most of you know this, but oftentimes people don't. When you get into the virgin birth, it's like, what is the big deal about a virgin birth? Why do we have to really hang our hat on that? Well, if Jesus was born of an earthly father, he would have the seed of sin because the because sin is passed on through the man, right? And so if, if Jesus was born of Joseph, he would have a sin nature. Therefore, he wouldn't be an acceptable sin offering for us who are sinners, all right? So when we hang our hat on the virgin birth and you say, well, what's the big deal? If he's born of man, he's a sinner. His atonement would not be sufficient for us. No virgin birth, no salvation, no heaven. It's that simple. Okay. And so the angel explains that to her. She understood that. And then in verse 37, he affirms her, hey, all things are possible with God. And he goes back in verse 36 and he says, hey, even your aunt, Elizabeth, she's pregnant too, right? And isn't it God's kind of uh, unique story how he's going to give her a, a, an account that is going to be unbelievable. And then he pairs her up with a relative and says, and her story is going to be amazing too. And she's going to give birth to John the Baptist. And they're going to run this kind of parallel account of, of their pregnancy. And remember John the Baptist. As Jesus enters into the, his, his public ministry. And John the Baptist looks and says. Behold the Lamb of God. Who takes away the sins of the world. Right. So, so Mary has a partner. <laughs> in this miracle. And, and Elizabeth has this miracle herself. And they're able to go along in a parallel 
uh, account of what takes place. To me, it's kind of a fascinating way that God does it. Verse 38. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Remember back to favor, agreeable. I'm agreeable to the Lord's will in my life. And then it says the angel left her. So why did God choose Mary? Because she was agreeable to God's plan. In a story, in an account that was going to be absolutely unbelievable for everyone to grab a hold of. And she was agreeable to it. And let me just say this, because we're going to talk about being yoked with God in our walk and being obedient to him in every area of our life. And let me just say this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God has a plan for your life and he has a will for your life. And let me just say, being obedient to his plan and his will is going to draw criticism from people around you and even people who are believers. Okay? But you have to be willing to be yoked to him and be obedient and walk out even in the difficult circumstances in which God is going to call you so several verses later, Mary's going to sing a song from verse 46 through 55. It is her song or her poem as she writes. And she's going to give a reasons why she accepted God's plan for her life. All right. So you ready for that? So here we go. Why Mary's plan was be- is best for me in the song of Luke 1 through uh, 46 and 55. And here it is. Number one, because God made me for his purpose. All right, God made me for his purpose. You are the invention of God. You were created by God. You are God's plan. You are God's product. God has a plan for your life. He didn't create you and then pat you on the back and say, go get them and just send you off into the world. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. He has uniquely gifted you. He has uniquely shaped you to be obedient to him. If you are not yoked to him, now I'm not talking salvation. I'm talking about your daily obedience to him. If you are not yoked to him following his direction and his pace, you are living your life for your own purpose. Okay? You got it? All right. So you are choosing to do your own thing. So she says in verse 46, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, verse 47, and my spirit rejoices in the Lord, uh, in, the, in, in God my Savior. Okay, circle the word rejoice. That word means to jump for joy. All right? So the angel comes. You're a virgin. You're going to give birth to the Son of God. And everyone around you is going to go, are you kidding me? I've not heard that story before. And you are going to be favorable because you're in agreement with God. You're going to be obedient to it. And she says in verse 46 and verse 47, my soul jumps up and down for the will of God for my life. Pause. Do you jump up and down for the will of God for your life? Or do you negotiate with God and you suggest you have a better idea for it? 
So her spirit jumps up and down, even though, just kind of think about it, she's a teenager, not married, giving birth to the Son of God. Imagine the criticism. Imagine the people talking amongst the community about this. Just imagine that. I mean, she could have easily become an outcast. Would you agree? Sure. And she jumps up and down in her spirit because she is obedient to the will of God. I want you to grab this vision, this picture. When we accept Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, that is not necessarily yoking our life with him. That's accepting him, step one, the biggest decision you'll ever make. But where many believers miss the plan of God is they're not willing to be yoked to him. And they're not willing to be obedient to his steps because of the criticism, because of the calling, because of the difficulties, because I'm going to have to give up something that I like doing. And as a result of it, we live our life as atheists. We believe in Jesus for salvation, but we don't believe in him for our daily walk because we're not linked to him. And Mary says, I jump up and down because I understand that God has created me for his purpose. You want to know why we strive to be more, do more, and have more? Because we have an emptiness in our heart, in our hearts. And you can even be a follower of Jesus and invite Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior and still have an emptiness. Because you're not being obedient and you don't understand his purpose for your life. And his purpose and his plan is always going to call you outside of your comfort zone. And he's always going to stretch you. And there is going to be criticism. And there's going to be criticism from the world. But listen, there's going to be criticism within the body. People are going to criticize you. You imagine Pastor Dan get criticized? You imagine that? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean this is a crazy one. Right? We're to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I've been with you always to the very end of the age. Right? And the criticism, I don't apologize that our church is growing. I don't apologize. But people criticize me in the body because of it. So my turn back is, well, which one of your family members would you like to go to hell? Do you have any? Because they're not welcome here, right? So whenever you're obedient to the will of God, you're going to get criticism inside the body. You're going to get criticism outside the body. But you've got to be bigger than that. You've got to keep plowing forward and being obedient to the calling of God. He has a purpose for your life. He has a plan for your life. And you need to be yoked with him to move forward with that. Number two, the second thing is because no one cares uh, for me more, right? No one cares for me more in my life. You think about, uh, was that, that Willie, is it Willie Nelson? I think it is that you're always on my mind. Is that Willie Nelson who sings that song, right? Yeah, 
And I, you know, I, I've been married since 1988 with my wife. Got a, I love my wife. She's a wonderful wife, but I'll be, and she's in here today. She's not in the preschool yet. But I'll just say to her, she's not always on my mind. I got three great boys, right? They're not always on my mind. They're always on my nerves, but not my mind, right? <laughs> you know that's true. You don't think of your spouse 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You don't think of your kids 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You don't think of your grandkids 24 hours, seven days a week. But God thinks of you because his love is perfect and his focus is always on you. And that's difficult because we think of God just looking down at humanity and going, oh, I'm so confused. Look at all the people. But he is focused on you. Look with me in Psalms 115. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him for he cares for you. Mary says this in verse 48, Luke 1. For he has been mindful of his humble uh, state of his servant. And the word mindful means to be alert. So God has been, Mary says, God has been alert, focused on me as an individual. And God is focused on you as an individual as well. He's alert. He's attentive. The things that concern you concern God. The anxiety you have in life. He's, he, he's concerned about, right? So it's not that you get lost in humanity, that God has the ability to love us perfectly, and therefore he can focus on each of us because he's all-knowing, all-being, all-powerful. I mean, you know all that stuff. And so he can focus on us. And so the reason why we want to be obedient is because there's no one in this world who cares more for you than God. And here's the crazy part. You want to know how much he loves you? He tapped Mary to give birth to the Son of God who would reconcile you to a holy God. That's how much he loves you. And so his focus is completely on you. You think of Matthew chapter 10 where it says a bird doesn't fall from the air, uh, from the air without the will of God knowing. Right? He knows our hairs on our head. No jokes there. It doesn't say back, by the way. <laughs> bing, bing, ching. I'm only here till Tuesday. All right, number three. Because it is the key to blessings. It is the key to blessings in your life. Again, we want God to bless us. We want God to, to have his favor in our life. We want God to bless our finances, our business, our family, our, you know, every area of our life, but, but here's what we do. We say, God, here's my business, here's my plan, bless it. We never pause and say, God, what is your plan for my business? What is your plan for my finances? What is your plan for my children? What is your plan for my marriage? What do you want me to do in it? We want to grab it and say, Lord, here's my marriage, bless it. And he says, well, first honor me in your marriage. Then I'll bless it. In your finances, honor me in your finances. Then I'll bless it. But see, we want to just kind of pull it out because we, we want God to bless our plan because we want God to be yoked to us. 
Think about how crazy that is. Right? We want, it, we want him to be yoked with us so that we can just tell him, hey, God, here's what I'm going to do. And you just go along and you just go along. Just a bless, 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 bless my steps as I walk. Verse 48. For he has been mindful of, his, uh, of the humble state of his servant from now on, uh, uh, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So Mary says, all generations will call me blessed. We still do today. Verse 49, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Now look at verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him. That word fear means reverence, right? It doesn't mean afraid. It's, it's the word, we get a phobia, but it has a kind of a dual meaning. It can be I'm scared of something, or it can mean reverence or awe for something. And in this case, it's reverence for all. So he says, he has mercy. Mercy is extended to those who have reverence for him. For how long? From generation, Mary's generation, to generation, meaning today. And next generation, blessings to them. Who what? Who fear him. Who have reverence for him. Who don't say, Lord, I want you to bless what I'm doing. But who's willing to say, Lord, I want you to guide me. And I want to be obedient to your will. I want to have honor in my life. And I want you to honor what I do because I'm following you. Right? And so we're not inviting him to come along. We, we are allowing him to invite, invite us to follow along in his plan. All right? And, and so blessings come by obedience. Are we tracking okay? We tracking okay? Number four. We're going to skip Deuteronomy. You can read through it. You got to choose whether you're going to live, life or death. <clears throat> It's true. <laughs> All right. Number four. Because it is better than my plans. You ever feel that way? First Peter. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud and he gives. What does he give? Grace to the humble. Right. Verse six. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Now, just kind of pause, right? So here it is. Here it is. To be yoked with Christ and to be willing to say to Christ, Christ, you lead my life regardless of where it goes, regardless of the hardship that it may cause, no matter what the world says, no matter what the body of Christ may say. I'm linking myself, I'm joining with you, and I'm following along. Folks, that takes humility to do that. Pride says, God, I got a plan for you. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to do this, do this, and do this. Right? And so in what Peter writes is he says, those who are humble, God extends grace to. And then look at the last part of the promise of, of, of what, he, what he gets. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. But what does that mean? That means that blessings in our life come from humility, not piety. 
blessings in our life come from God's hand because we are submitting and surrendering to him. And what does he do? There's a picture of him lifting us up and honoring us because we are humble and we are willing to be yoked with him. Does that make sense? Does it make sense? Right? And so when we, when we, when we live our life in a way where it's not filled with our own plans and our own wishes, God lifts us up. If you, and get this in your mind, if you say, God, I got a plan for you, God says, go for it. Let me see how you do. I'm watching. Right? You have teenagers, right, when they're kids. No, 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 I know how to do it. No, no, I know how to do it. You're like, no, you don't know how. No, I, I, I know how. It's like, all right, I got, I got nine, one already dialed. I'm just waiting for this thing to blow up, and then I'm just going to hit the one, all right? So here we go. Ready? Nine, one, nine. All right, hello. Yeah, we're on fire here, right? And so when we want to do it on our own, God says, go for it. He doesn't force us to be obedient, does he? He gives us a will. We have a free will. And when, we, and when we aren't, and we're doing our own thing, we have taken the yoke off, and we are carrying it ourselves. And we are pulling ourselves, and we looked at that in week, in week number one. Verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those whom are proud in their innermost thoughts. Okay, What that means is, the folks who believe that they can live their life without God, he's scattered, meaning they're on their own, right? They're kind of living their own life, doing their own thing, right? You, you may know folks who are not believers, and they're doing stuff, and you scratch your head, and you're like, man, I, I, I don't know why they're doing that stuff, and this is why, because, because in their inner thoughts, they do not believe God exists, therefore they're not accountable to God, and therefore they're doing as they choose, and God says, have at it, go for it. Okay? Let's see, what verse am I in? Verse uh, 52. He has brought down rulers from their throne. Now look at the, watch the role reversal here. This is, this is pretty cool. He says, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up who? Sure, the guy that walks around beating his chest saying how great he is, God says, eh, I'll get you. Kathunk, right? And those who are humble, he lifts up, right? Verse, verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away how? Empty. Stop right there. This is a key part of be more, do more, and have more. Empty does not mean bankrupt financially. It doesn't say that he's taken away their finances from them. You know what it means? Even though they have wealth, there's an emptiness in their soul. And they walk through life looking to have, looking to try, looking to buy, looking to do. Because they bought into have more, be more, and do more. And they're in their inner thoughts, God doesn't exist. And they walk and they're empty in their soul. Just, just let the power of that set into your life. 
in the area of finances. Do you live your life as if God doesn't exist? In the area of your scheduling, what's important for you? What's important for your kids? Do you live your life as if God doesn't exist? Because if you do, in your inner thoughts, you have been scattered. And you walk through life, even though you may be successful and wealthy, empty. And so if I just buy more, try more, have more, be more, it's going to fill my life. And you buy the latest book, you get the, big, the best energy drink, you get the best diet, you get the best whatever it is, and there's still an emptiness in your soul. Because you're walking around in your inner thoughts as if God doesn't exist. Number five. Because God keeps his promise. And his promise is, as we got verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remember, to be merciful. Verse 55. To Abraham and his descendants for how long? Forever. Right? Just kind of stop there for a second. Mary would have known from the Old Testament that God was going to send a Messiah. And so from Abraham to Mary, roughly 2,000 years. From Mary to us, roughly 2,000 years. So about 4,000 years ago, right? A promise was given that a Messiah would be born. And the promise wasn't for just that time. The promise was for all time. That God is a covenant God. And that when he makes a covenant or he makes a promise with us, he keeps it. And she would have known that. She would have completely understand, understood that. And so she says, hey, forever the descendants, right? <clears throat> Even as he has said to our fathers. That the promise isn't just for this generation. The promise is for all generations who fear him or who have reverence for him. Who walk in his light. That he has a plan and a will for them. And Isaiah says, in Isaiah 7, verse 14, and you've got to figure that this just came rushing back into their minds during this whole account. Therefore, the Lord, will give, uh, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. And so she says, God's promises is not just for that first generation, but for all generations. And here, here's what you've got to grab a hold of as we wrap up. The promises in Scripture is for our generation as well. The question is, the question is, not in a salvation sense, not a, am I going to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, okay? Remember, where he calls them in, in Matthew chapter 11, and he, and he says, come follow me. There was a lordship surrender to it. It wasn't just, oh yeah, I just bought the fire, uh, fire insurance, I'm good. It was a surrendering, a lordship submission to following Christ. And when we do that, we are yoked with him. And he sets the pace and he sets the direction. 
in which your life is to go. And God's plan for Mary didn't start, didn't start when Mary was born. Think about that. God's plan for Mary goes all the way back before the creation of this world, where God knew that he was going to have to send a Messiah to die for the sins of this world. God has a plan for your life. And his plan for your life did not start the day that you were born and the doctor whacked you on the bottom. God's plan for your life was before the creation of this world. And he has a plan and he has a a purpose. You are not saved in a personal relationship just so you go to heaven. If that was the case, as soon as you accepted Christ, it would be, beam me up, Scotty, I'm out of here. And every Sunday, we would sit around here, and all of a sudden, someone would go right through the ceiling. And it'd be like, wow, that was kind of cool. How do I get on that spaceship? Well, except Jesus. There you go. But here's the deal. You are saved to serve him. Not your purpose, his purpose. And his calling in your life is going to stretch you. And his calling in your life is going to be criticized. And his calling in his life is going to be a challenge to you. And it's not going to be your plan. It's going to be his plan. But unless you're willing to say, Lord, I'm going to yoke up with you. And I'm going to be obedient. Unless you're willing to do do that, you are going to walk. And this is what's so tragic in my mind, especially as a pastor. You are going to walk with an emptiness in your soul. And you'll wonder what it is that needs to fill it. And it is the will of God in your life. Otherwise, you are a hamster on a hamster wheel. Good luck. Let me know when you get there. Serious. Serious. And so as we enter into New Year's, I know you all have goals to lose weight, right? Get rid of the double chin, dye your gray hair, hope to have hair, right? Whatever your wishes are. (laughs) Here's my challenge to you guys. Find the will of God for your life. Find it. And be willing to yoke with him. And my promise is, not because of me, but because just because I read it from God's word. You will experience a fullness in life that only he can give. Let's pray.